Hello, everyone listening. Before we get into the podcast, Clow and I would just like to say that we recorded this episode before the murder of George Floyd. Therefore, it's not addressed in this recording, but we are well aware of the events currently happening. And if you have the means, we encourage you to donate to various organizations that help with the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've provided a link in the description for your convenience. That's all for now. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. People talk loud when they want to act smart, right? Correct! So if we play loud, people might think we're good. Everybody ready? And the one, and the two, and the one, two, three, four. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Sterling. Hey, this is Glow. We are the Film School Brats. This is a show where we talk about everything entertainment through the lens of film school students, which means we have little to no qualifications to do that, but we do it anyway because it's fun. Today we are dedicating the episode to celebrate Asian Heritage Month, and we're doing that by talking about two Asian American films, Tiger Tail and The Half of It. I'll start with this. We decided to have this little experiment it's not very deep, but I decided to watch Tiger Tail first and then the half of it second. And Cloud decided to do the other way around. Yeah. So I'm wondering what your experience was doing that. I think it worked for me. The half of it is just a much lighter uh, watch. So I don't know. I enjoyed starting with that and then still having the energy to really absorb tiger tail i think the other way around it would have been more challenging for me but then again very small pool of people didn't see how this actually affects you yeah yeah that's interesting because i had kind of the opposite but Mm -hmm. i think because i haven't seen a movie since march like early march that starting with the slower movie well that in and of itself was a little difficult but then knowing that the next one was like a lighter watch just helped me. Yeah, you got the harder one, quote unquote, out of the way quicker. Yes. Not in yeah, a bad just, way, but No, no, no. It's just for me, I knew I knew nothing about either film going in, so I had no idea. Right. Yeah. Well, this is a stupid experiment, but we just thought it would be interesting <laughs> to see what yeah. would happen. So, let's talk about Tiger Tail first. This is a movie written and directed and produced by Alan Yang, who is mostly known for writing Parks and Rec, and co-creating Master of None, which is a great show, by the way. It stars Tai Ma, Christine Ko, Joan Chen, and Li Hong Chi. This is a film about a man named Pin Shui, although in the subtitles it says Pin Shui, so I'm a little confused about how you actually say his name, but they say it as Pin Shui in the movie. It's a story about an immigrant's journey from Taiwan to New York City, and the new life that he had to start, the sacrifices he had to make. And it touches also on his relationship with his daughter. And the film kind of goes back and forth between the relationship between his daughter and the present and, you know, everything leading up to that when he was still in Taiwan. So, Clau, what are some general thoughts you have? I would say this movie really felt like a poem to me. I know that's kind of a vague bullshit answer to give, but mostly because of the cinematography, it feels like it should be a really intimate thing because it's so beautiful and it's slow and personal. But at the same time, I think because it's not his story, it's his dad's story, 
there is a little bit of a disconnect. Regardless, general thoughts is that it was beautiful to look at, very emotional, but I think for me missed the mark a little bit. I would agree. I think it's a fascinating take on the immigrant story, but it feels, as you said, a little bit impersonal. Also, theoretically, the daughter in the movie, I assume, is replacing Alan Yang. And I think that something there gets lost a little bit in translation. For sure. How did you feel about the daughter's character in the movie? I don't... So, the everything that happens in the present and then everything that happens in the past, to me, feel like two different movies. Mm-hmm. And they never totally coherently connect. So my issue with everything in the present tense, which pretty much has everything to do with the daughter, feels kind of wooden and archetype, archi- archetypical? They feel like archetypes. I'm not sure what the word okay. is. They feel a bit like archetypes. And she feels more of a of a plot and thematical function than a real person and i'm not sure if it was the performance or the writing for her but it definitely felt wooden for sure i would say that her character is what made the present uh, portion of the movie feel stale at least for me it just felt so spelled out and she felt so shoehorned in to force that connection between her and her dad yeah that I couldn't really, I had to even look away a little bit when they're having lunch. And she's like, I don't need your judgment right now. And she's just like spelling out every single thing. I was checked out because it it just felt so, you know, it just didn't feel real to me. But I will say that the present and what I wish they had focused on more was great when it was him reconnecting with his old flame. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to call her. Yeah, from Um, Taiwan. Yeah, from Taiwan. And how they, from the moment he friends her on Facebook to when they meet up, I thought that was amazing. And actually, it really stood out to me too, even after watching it. I was, I kept thinking, huh, that was actually really nice. I hope, I, I wished they had gone a little deeper with that because I really left craving more of him confronting all those feelings of loss and what his life would have been, you know, all the what ifs. Right. Which I think are the hardest part about life and looking back to your past and seeing all the opportunities you missed and the decisions you made. So I wish he had confronted those feelings a little bit more explicitly rather than the explicit part being the daughter (laughs) relationship and how she's being left by her husband and how she's trying to make that a connection. Right. The daughter, yeah, that lunch scene is heavy because that daughter really explains the conflict. She just kind of says it out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel natural because people usually don't speak like that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of my whole issue overall with the movie is that it's short. It's only 90 minutes. So I feel like with the amount of themes and ideas that it's trying to tackle, it doesn't have enough time to really develop under the surface level. Yeah. It feels like it glosses over a lot of interesting things that I would have liked to explore more. Yeah. I think we both feel a bit similarly that it feels like someone is trying to tell someone else's story and that comes across. Right. Because it doesn't feel like we're getting a real intimate look at the life of someone who had to leave Taiwan with someone, you know, almost an arranged marriage. 
to go to, to New York to try to live out the American dream and sort of failing at the beginning. Yeah. It doesn't seem, it seems a little bit generic and it seems like something that we've maybe seen before or that we can imagine, but because we don't have the little specific details that ground it and that make it really unique, I think that's what was missing. And I totally get that the dad was really closed off with his emotions and with what he was thinking. But sometimes it's it's harder when you feel like an, as an audience member that you're also being shut out and that you have that distance. So would you agree? I think that's the biggest let's call it issue. I, I totally agree. And I honestly think that a lot of this has to do with just how short the movie is. I think mm-hmm. if you gave it an extra half an hour, or even hour, you could really expound on a lot of these ideas. I'm, I'm wondering if that's just because he's used to writing TV shows and series where you can dedicate, you know, hour long episodes to one idea and then altogether form the big coherent piece. And I'm wondering if maybe he's still adjusting to distilling all of this into a feature. I can't speak for him, but these yeah. are these are just general feelings that I have after watching the movie. It, it definitely feels like he didn't have the real estate to explore everything he wanted to. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. But moving on to certain things that we found or certain aspects of the movie that we found were really interesting or unique? Is there anything that comes to mind that really separates this film from others yeah, I in think your head? Stylistically, it's really interesting the way he directed and shot it. It has a very, I think, Western film language sensibility. I don't want to get too crazy about this because it's going to sound so pretentious, but <laughs> it, it, it was interesting for me to watch like an Asian movie that takes place in Taiwan where where characters are speaking Chinese. There's no white people, there's no English, but directed with American sensibilities. So that was interesting to me. I have no greater thought to that. This is not a bad or good thing necessarily, but that that's what called out to me stylistically. And I think the cinematography is really nice. Watching this movie on Netflix, I just think visually does not do it justice because what I noticed was I'm going to get so nerdy here, but the compression was really high for me when I watched it. Not sure if it was my internet or just the way it actually is on Netflix, but all the films, all the scenes shot on 16 millimeter are really fuzzy. And I could see spots in the frame that were like static and frozen that you just wouldn't have that issue if you saw it in theaters. So I would have really liked to have seen this in an uncompressed projected format where everything is very clear. That's a really weird tangent and a very nitpicky thing. But <laughs> but yes. I, I think visually, honestly, the streaming aspect of it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> what about you? What, what, what were some unique things that you noticed? I think for me, one of the things that I thought were interesting or that just stood out to me were the different stereotypes in use. So one of the biggest things was how sexless a lot of the characters were. And I'm going to touch on this a little bit later when we talk about the half of it. Uh-huh. I think the only time that we see characters who have had sex is when him and his girlfriend from Taiwan have sex, but we don't see anything. I, I, I think we see them kissing and sort of taking off their, unbuttoning their shirts, I guess. <laughs> And then we see them right after. Yeah. And then with this new wife, we don't see them have sex at all, which makes sense because they're not 
they barely even like each other. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that that was just a, you know, Brax tax, we need to make some children. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of times when you see uh, Asian characters in, in films, I'm talking specifically about American films, usually the women are over-sexualized and the men are totally, like their sexuality is taking away from them. It was interesting to see him being way more a charmer and like a sexual young person when he's in Taiwan versus when he's in America. He just never has sex with his wife. I mean, he does because he has two children, but (laughs) we never see that. We never see it and it's not a part of his life. It's more, you know, now you're here and now you're not charming anyone. Now you're not going out and dancing with anyone. And you're not cheating on your wife either. Right. He's he's serving a, a function when he comes to America because mm-hmm. he understands that there's a certain responsibility that he needs to be able to carry on his family legacy. Yeah. But moving on from sexual and focusing more on romance, I thought it was so heartwarming when he's talking to um, his old girlfriend over Facebook. And it's the first time we really see him say anything about his day or being happy and sharing those photos of him gardening or just sharing his feelings about right you know even what he's done so i guess that's a sort of convoluted way of saying that i thought it was really interesting how they portrayed sexuality when he's in taiwan when everyone's in taiwan versus when they move to america and how that can be seen from like an american audience perspective but also from a like an immigrant where now your role in society is just to make money, provide, and that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I actually never thought about it that way in terms of the sexuality of the characters. Of course, the the movie is rated (laughs) PG, so it can't go, I mean, I guess it didn't have to be rated PG, but that is an interesting choice. And I think it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition of, when we when the film opens and we see him as a little kid crying after um, the inspection came in, in his grandma's house and he had to hide, he's crying and then his grandma tells him, don't ever let anyone see you cry, which in that context makes a lot of sense. But then when you take it to him saying to his crying daughter after her piano recital, don't ever let anyone see you cry, it's just, oh, Maybe the lessons you learned that made you really, you know, brave when you were a kid do not translate to what your kids are living through or what your kids experience. Yeah, because they are growing up in a different society under different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all really interesting. And see, this is these are the things that I wish the movie really made more clear and and, and dove Mm -hmm. more into because I feel like we get a little bit of it sprinkled throughout, but they don't come together as a, as a big coherent piece. Yeah. Okay. Overall, would you recommend? Yes or no? I would recommend because I'm glad that Netflix is providing a platform for this kind of story. I mean, as, Mm -hmm. as an Asian American, it's regardless of quality, it's really awesome to see lately more of an opportunity for, for us to tell our stories. So I'm I'm really glad that a movie like this exists. I think it's a great starting point for this kind of movie to be more in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see what Alan Yang does next because I'm generally a huge fan of his work. 
So another father-daughter film that also deals with Asian Americans and immigration is The Half of It. So The Half of It was written and directed by Alice Wu. It's her second film. I think the first one was in 2006, Saving Face. Something like so, that. Something like that. Really long time between films. And this seems like a very personal story because it's all about an Asian American girl in high school who writes papers for her classmates. She's really smart, but sort of a social outcast. And when she's presented with the opportunity to write love letters to the girl she's, let's say, in love with, she ends up striking this really intimate connection, but by pretending that the letters are coming from someone else, a guy named Paul, who is your sort of atypical, lovable football player. Because he's, you know, he's not like the most popular guy and he's not like an idiot, but he's just kind of like a lovable in between. He's kind of a Noah Centineo character, but not played by Noah Centineo. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, I mean, the premise is very reminiscent of Cyrano de Bergerac, which is a French play and also movie with the same premise. Someone's writing letters pretending to be someone else and the person receiving the letters is falling in love with the words without really knowing who is writing them. Yeah. I think for me, the half of it definitely does a lot of interesting and unique things. And it's, you know, for sure a cute kind of stepping stone towards more mainstream young adult movies like this. It reminds me a lot of, you know, Love, Simon and how um, queerness is represented in a mainstream movie or even, you know, The Fault in Our Stars with um, disabilities or diseases. But I think the biggest thing is that I have outgrown and I'm not the target audience for that kind of film anymore. And I've outgrown a lot of the, the things that drive young adult films. Most notably is it really irks me for some reason to now see or read high school students and that pseudo intellectuality of, I'm going to quote you some Plato right now and Camus. <laughs> you know, it's just that, okay, fine, I get it. You took high school philosophy or whatever. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it doesn't connect with me anymore. But what I really did appreciate about this particular film is how it used that, which is something that I personally do not like and it really rubs me the wrong way and used it as a way of connecting the two characters and just make them seem like equals in their high school. And the two characters, I mean, Ellie and Aster, because yeah. they talk about those things and they actually do connect through those. See, ironically enough, I wish I had seen more of Ellie and Aster. Maybe not oh, for sure. Maybe not ironically, but I feel like it's very, I think their relationship is developed a little too late well, you, you see kind of it in the middle, but then they don't really have their sort of epiphany moment. I agree, because I think the story is really a story about friendship. And I think this is Ellie's and Paul's story. And I think the character of Aster is maybe purposefully very idealized for both of them. And I think that I also wish I had seen more of Aster and understood her more as a character, but I understand how it's them having... A real uh, like a high school crush where it's just sometimes very 
you know, there's no foundation for that crush other than this is the person, especially for Paul, because he's just, he can't really articulate what he likes about her, just that she's pretty and very broadly smart, he says. Yeah. And with Ellie, she connects a little bit more, but still, like when they're face to face, she can't talk to her and she can't um, open up as easily. I think for me, the issue I have with general, like young adult rom-com type films in general is that I never feel like I had that high school experience. The way that they talk about love, and I know they're young and inexperienced, but even just that way, I feel like I never had conversations like that. We never talked about love like that. It, it, because it's so, the way they talk about it is so intellectually complicated even though if it's like a skewed version of what love really is but the way they talk about it is just not something that i've i was ever familiar with like these really deep thoughts that come from an adult they're they come from an adult and they're not things that even if you maybe sort of felt them when you were growing up in high school that's never i totally agree i think most movies about high school are weird idealized and warped um because they're all written by World. adults. Yeah. Uh, from the perspective of how they think that. But it's, well, well, mostly it's bec- it's from a point of looking back, which I think it's really different. And I think one of the things that character- characterizes high school the most is that it's so uncertain and everything every day feels like a huge decision. And every day it's just you don't know how to navigate the world. And I think when you look back, it's like, oh, high school was so easy. High school was just, you know, obviously I was going to go on and do A, B, C, and D. But when you're there, it feels like all the pressure of the world. And it never seems like the characters are going through that. It always seems like they lived through all of that and now they're reliving it, if that makes sense. Right. And high school absolutely was a huge time of reflection and, and contemplation but I could never articulate it that way, that, that the way they do it in the movie and in mm-hmm. other, other movies. What I liked overall about this film was that it doesn't put too much of an emphasis on the romance. And obviously, it, the whole premise is based on, quote-unquote, falling in love. But these relationships turn into friendships. And I think that's cool. Because things, as she, Ellie says at the beginning of the movie, this is not a love story that turns out in the way that you people want it to be, or something like that. Yeah, so, I think I think it's like this is not a love story, or at least not one where anyone gets what they wanted. Yes, but they do get what they wanted in a different way, which I think is mm-hmm. a very kind of profound thought in terms of what you normally see in a in a young adult rom com, mm-hmm. and they get that through friendship, and it's a, a love friendship, not. Uh, sexual romantic love and also i think something that is of course a lesbian character is super um still to this day new to mainstream audiences especially for a young netflix movie but what was even more rare at least in the movies that i've seen is that it's very common to see a girl crushing on a gay man but not the other way around because Paul, you know, kisses Ellie. Yeah. And then he realizes that she's a lesbian and then he really, not really maliciously, but more to his character and to what he knows. He says, 
he realizes that he says, you're going to go to hell, which I thought was super telling of his character. Cause again, it's not that he was cursing her off and it's not that he was damning her to hell. It was more of, Oh no, like, I'm sorry for you, but you're going to go to hell for that. Cause that's what I've learned my entire life. <laughs> but then accepts it like the scene after and accepts it. Yeah. But I think that stems from the fact that he didn't say it maliciously. It's just like, that's just his world. And his world is just, where's the set? Squamish? Yeah, Squamish. Squamish. I don't know if it's a real city. I, no, I think it's made up. Okay. Just very quickly, I talking about her writing and how her letters and her language, she's super um, eloquent and has total mastery of English. I think that's also a very interesting um, approach to this film because, you know, math and science are two subjects where you don't need the language to do well in, you know, math being a universal language. Yeah, that's true. So I actually, I don't know, I thought it was very interesting that she is so great with language and her dad has to watch movies to learn English, you know, and she really tells him when he's watching, watching something in French, she's just like, oh, why aren't you watching this in English instead? Right. And meanwhile, she's better than all of her classmates at essay, like at writing essays. Yeah, as an Asian. Mm-hmm. I would just like to read off a couple of quotes from the movie that I thought were funny. Go for it. I looked up plagiarize. <laughs> Babe, taco time. Dating is burgers and fries and shakes and maybe another order of fries. That I actually thought it was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> like, would I fall for a Paul who's like an idiot but like a lovable idiot? <laughs> you know, Concerning. I'm surprised more kids haven't asked to interview me. <laughs> you have classic bone structure. <laughs> yes. And... Damn, when did Ellie Chu get kind of hot? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the great quotes from the popular guy, I see. Yeah. Who the, we the haven't mentioned at all. But Trig, the, the dumb kind Trig. of Chad boy. Yeah. Another weird thing for me about Trig was that he's just like, yes, let's get married. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Inter- we are in a small town. Damn. <laughs> okay, so I just want to do a little segment you can cut this if you want but if you had to very quickly what's the one scene that stands out from tiger tail for you and what's one scene that stands out from the half of it okay well one scene i really liked in the half of it was the scene that they're in the hot spring i really liked how it was shot there's like a really beautiful image of them floating with their heads Mm-hmm. Not, kind not of the mirror, like head to yes. head and yeah there's yes. a reflection on the water that just it's really nice looking image but also that scene overall i like the intimacy of the characters what was cool was that i wasn't ever sure if aster was like bisexual mm-hmm. because it, it kind of seemed like she was reciprocating some of that feeling and there was an interesting tension there that i that was cool absolutely and for and Tiger Tail? Tiger Tail. I actually really liked the final shot. I thought it was very poetic, <laughs> for lack of a better sure. term. Like uh, frame within a frame. Yeah, frame within a frame, and them just standing there holding hands. It felt very Asian, actually. Mm-hmm. 
like a shot that I would have seen in The Farewell or, or something like that. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. I've still been thinking about visually or metaphorically what it might mean. But I thought it was a, a, cool, a cool shot looking into the old house that's destroyed now. For sure. I think for me, Tiger Tail, I would either choose the opening shot in the rice fields for its visual component. It felt very like Terrence Malicky. Mm-hmm. But the scene that I enjoyed the most story-wise is honestly when it hits in front of his computer talking on Facebook. I think I mentioned that 30,000 times during this conversation, but it was the first time where his character switched for me. And I was actually rooting for him. And I was thinking, man, this is the first time I'm seeing, I'm, I feel like I'm connecting with this guy. So that for sure stood out to me. Just seeing him happy for the first time as a grown adult yep. was, I don't know, very satisfying. And then for the half of it, my favorite scene is, if not the last, last shot, the last scene basically, where she's on the train and you know he's going to start running because they were talking about it before. And then he does start running and she's laughing and she's crying. And it just made me realize how often rom-coms just ignore friendships altogether. And I think those are the most powerful relationships you'll have, especially as a teen, or at least for me. And I think that movies oftentimes, when they are rom-coms where they are about relationships, tend to ignore the friendships or tend to end with the romance. You know, like that's the big focus point. But with this, I love that it was just the train and it was their moment. Yeah. All right, so that about does it. I think these two films are a great double bill if you're looking for a way to wrap up API Heritage Month. If not, if you have any other films <laughs> that you also want to watch and you want a theme, let that be your theme for this month. So that was episode four. Episode four. Yeah, our, our second consecutive weekly episode. Yes, we're on a roll. Let's so see big, how long this lasts. Big claps <laughs> for us. All right, we'll see you next week. Stay safe. Have fun in your home. No. (laughs) Be miserable. But safe. Bye. (laughs) Oh, cheer up, Squid. It could be worse. Yeah, you could be bald and have a big nose. Well, this is the end.